Hey there, it's Jamie Scrimger here, and you're listening to the Kick-Ass Stepmom Podcast. I'm a wife, a mom, a stepmom, a coach, a conversation opener, and a BS caller. Eight years ago, I found myself sitting on the bathroom floor, bawling my eyes out, wondering what the heck I was thinking, marrying a man with three kids and an ex-wife. Look, don't get me wrong. I was madly in love. The kids were great. But being a stepmom is, well, it's just complicated. If you know, you know. As a 26-year-old with zero experience in the parenting department, I went to the internet for support. But I was disappointed with what I found. So I decided to create the type of support I was looking for. Raw, real, solution-focused conversations about all things motherhood, stepmotherhood, and living a kick-ass life. Life can be hard, really freaking hard, but it's entirely possible to thrive amongst the tough stuff. Each week, I will bring you tips and strategies and mindset shifts to inspire you to live your own version of a kick-ass life. We'll bring you along as I create my own. Let's do this. Hello, hello. Welcome to the podcast. Guys, I am so pumped for you to hear this conversation. This episode is fire. It is just so good. So today's guest is Bethany Webster, and she is the author of Discovering the Inner Mother, a guide to healing the mother wound and claiming your personal power. I have told so many people to read this book. I literally told my sisters that if they don't read it, I'm going to lock them in a room and read it to them out loud because it's such an important conversation. I really just think that everyone should be diving into this kind of stuff. So Bethany Webster is a writer, an international speaker. She's a transformational coach, and she blends her research on intergenerational trauma, feminist theory, and psychology with her own personal story with the mother wound. And her book was seriously the catalyst to so much insight and personal freedom for me. I can't even put it into words. In this episode, we dive into what the mother wound is, especially as it relates to the patriarchy in our society. We talk about the shame that we carry around the mother wound and how it affects our future and present relationships. We dive into the grief over the mother-daughter relationships and the mother gap, which is what you needed and what you received as a child. We talk about why the mother wound is not an attack on our mothers. And I think there's definitely a misconception about that. It's not an attack on our mothers. It's just a real conversation about the way of our world. And we also talk about how to talk to your mother and set boundaries in your relationship and how one of the biggest challenges can be accepting that sometimes our parents simply do not have the capacity to parent us the way we wanted or the way that we needed. I also share a little bit about my experience in diving into my own mother wound and how I have been debunking the stories that I was told my entire life. This conversation is heavy, but it's needed, and I can't wait for you to hear it. Let's dive in. So you guys know I'm always talking about how on the days when I'm really killing it with work, my meals and home life kind of slip. Despite my best intentions on the days when I have lots of podcast interviews or coaching calls, we end up ordering takeout or scrambling to get dinner on the table before sports and all the things. But this fall, in an effort to get back in the groove, I am back on the HelloFresh train. So HelloFresh is a meal kit company that delivers everything you need to create delicious dinners from scratch to your door. So you spend less time meal planning, prepping, and shopping. They work closely with trusted suppliers to source fresh, high quality ingredients, and the meals are freaking delicious. It usually takes about 30 minutes to prep and cook, so it's super quick and you don't even have to think about what's for dinner. 
There are over 30 recipes to choose from every week, so you're never gonna get bored and you're always gonna find something that works for you and your crew. And the best part for us is the flexibility. So you can skip meals on weeks where it doesn't work for you or if you're on the go or, you know, you just don't feel like it. There's no commitment. So if you wanna try it out, head to hellofresh.ca forward slash 16 FM and use the code Jamie16 to get up to 16 meals free. hellofresh.ca forward slash 16 FM and use the code Jamie16 to get up to 16 free meals. Enjoy. Hi, Bethany. Hi, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Good. If you could start off by just explaining the mother wound, right? Because it's become, people are talking about it a lot. And I think a lot of people who are listening to this will have heard it somewhere on social and that kind of stuff. But can you, can you start by just diving into what exactly that mother wound is or what you're referring to? So the mother wound is on the personal level. It's like any internalized limiting beliefs and patterns that got baked into our sense of self, right? Through those early dynamics with our mothers. Mm -hmm. So I like to say that the mother wound is kind of like the linchpin of our most insidious and limiting beliefs because it's so early in life. It's like when we're infants, we absorb everything about our mothers. We need to in order to survive. And as we grow, um, it's like we absorb her values, her ways of seeing life, things that are taboo to her, um, spoken and unspoken. She gets kind of woven into our fabric, to the fabric of ourself, like our blueprint of our self-concept. Um, and a lot of this is unconscious, but it's affecting us. I like to say that the mother wound is kind of like an invisible fence mm-hmm. where we're kind of constrained into certain behaviors and beliefs, not even realizing it. Um, but we feel turbulence when we approach the edges of it because something about it feels scary. Um, so it might be, be going beyond what our mothers, you know, are okay with or might feel threatened by or triggered by. So a lot of this is unconscious and, um, it's really just how our sense of self is built from our moms. So it's not really about blaming our moms or making them wrong at all. It's actually quite the opposite. Um, but we have to kind of understand, you know, in order to go forward, to be awakened, empowered and conscious, we actually have to know like what we went through, um, Mm -hmm. in order to get there. And I spent many years myself avoiding my relationship with my mom and doing therapy and spiritual work but I didn't want to go and look at this, but I realized that all the other work I was doing was having like a superficial impact. It wasn't really landing because there was all this other stuff that I didn't want to deal with. And it's like the stories we tell ourselves, right? About what we learned about ourselves growing up. And you don't realize how heavy that is and how ingrained that is into you until you stop and take a look. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I was trying to do everything but this. And then I, once I really dove in to really explore it and work through it, I was amazed at what was happening. It was because I kind of see like healing the mother wound as we're deconstructing and kind of like shedding the stuff that we accumulated that really wasn't about us. You know, Mm -hmm. um, and I have to say before I go further that we can't really understand the the mother wound without looking at patriarchy. My theory is about it's basically that the mother wound is how patriarchy gets passed down between women. 
So this atmosphere of patriarchy that we all live in and that our mothers and grandmothers and great-grandmothers all lived through, um, it really distorts for women how we see ourselves. And there's a real limit to how much we can be free, authentic, and liberated living inside of this cultural atmosphere. And our mothers kind of communicate in various ways what's okay and what's not okay. It's kind of like a mom wants to protect her daughter, right? So she's going to say things like, don't be too big, you know, don't rock the boat, you know, put other people's needs first. That's how you're a good girl. So we learn how to be a good girl. We learn how to survive, which is useful information. We all need to know how to survive this world, but we live in a world that's still hostile to women. And so inherently what women will pass down to their daughters is going to be some measure of this is the fence in which you must stay inside to survive. And the trick is, though, that right now, especially with everything that's happening in the world, the world needs more and more empowered women. And these are precisely these beliefs that we need to shift are the ones that are deeply ingrained from our mothers that say, this is how you survive living in this world as a woman. Mm -hmm. And these are the lines that you have to stay inside to get by. So those are the things we actually have to deconstruct in order to go beyond the invisible fence into kind of this unknown landscape of what's truly possible. How can we rewrite the script or whatever? Um, does that make sense? Yeah. And I think it was maybe when I was listening to your audiobook, you were talking about how sometimes, well, often the mother will get threatened by the daughter. Can you unpack yes. that for me and just kind of explain what that is all about and how that relates? Absolutely. It's a really good point. You know, feminists in the like 70s and 80s were writing about how motherhood is a form of oppression for women, right? And so a lot of our mothers, to varying degrees, of course, um, but there was this kind of oppression for women as mothers, like you had to kind of give up. And all of us today, even mothers, of course, today, this is also true. Um, you have to give up a part of yourself to be a mom. There's a transformation that you go through and patriarchy really limits, you know, what moms can do. I mean, it's like this superhuman feat, right? Um, and the expectations are so strong. So a lot of mothers, especially I find moms in the older generations, especially, there's a kind of contempt that they can feel, which is natural when you're witnessing your daughter going beyond what you thought was you were capable or breaking rules that you didn't think you could break. So there's, um, and if a mother isn't, this is like a mother of an adult daughter, if she's not, doesn't have tools or any support herself, the daughter can often be a, a target for her rage and for some passive aggressiveness or some, um, you know, the mother can actually perpetuate that patriarchal belief that, oh, you stay down. Let me take you down a pin, you mm -hmm. know? Um, and so for some of us, it can be really confusing, right? Because on the surface, our mothers might be like, I'm so proud of you. I want the best for you. But a lot of us can also feel there's this like unspoken contempt um, or just resentment mm -hmm. of some kind from our mothers when we do go to ever increasing levels of fulfillment, whatever that looks like for us, because our moms had to give up a lot of themselves and may not have ever worked through the grief and um, the anger, the rage that they felt about living in a patriarchy with limited options. Mm -hmm. And so the daughter, without any other, you know, without having any other outlets, um, an older mother can really, um, mm, it can become quite toxic for some of us. 
Yeah, for sure. It's like the resentment and it almost comes across as sometimes jealousy, right? And it's like, why are you not happy for me? Or why are you not excited about this? Or what was that snide remark about? Right. And I know that so many of my peers have, have experienced that as well. And it's like, that's not even about us though. Right. And I think that's, what's really exciting. It's about the process and it's not even about blaming the mom either. It literally is this process of breaking this down generation after generation. Exactly. And I think getting some more insight into it, like the more I unpacked it, I realized I could feel a lot of compassion for the trauma and the struggles my own mother had. And at the same time, be like, that's not about me. And I get to move forward and I'm not going to take it personal what she's going through, even though she's projecting onto me. So it can be tricky um, to kind of navigate when you're in the middle of it. And the jealousy piece is really painful. I found with the women I work with, it's almost like, I don't even want to admit that's happening. I know myself, it took me decades to be like, yeah, she was jealous of me because there was something so yucky about that. Like, you know, in the healthiest situation, a mom has enough of herself. She has, she's got enough inner resources that she doesn't see her child as a competitor and doesn't see her daughter as a threat to herself. Like that's, I think my ultimate goal of helping women heal the mother wound is for all women to get to that place where they feel so well-resourced and so worthy and lovable themselves that they can only feel that joy when their daughter is just, you know, soar into their own lives. Mm -hmm. But that to get there, that requires having a really healthy sense of boundaries because what we're talking about with the jealousy is a bit of codependency and patriarchy really fosters that codependency between mothers and daughters. So we can grow up with this unspoken sense of, Ooh, there's not enough for both of us, mom, you know, like, why can't we both be powerful? Why can't we both be lovable? But for mothers of older generations in particular, there's the sense that, Oh no, it only one of us can be on top. And that's patriarchy itself in action. So it's it's also looking at the insidious ways that mothers perpetuate patriarchy. And we have to look at that, even mm-hmm. though that's very uncomfortable and not many of us want to. I'm trying to make it so that it's like, oh, this is a rite of passage for us as women. It's not something we need to feel ashamed about. Let's not make it taboo. Let's bring it from the shadow into the open and kind of put it through this impersonal lens. Like, this is just the culture we live in and trauma is rampant and we can change the course of things, but we have to do the work, you know? Yeah, no, for sure. And, you know, I think what comes with all of this and this realization when you're getting to the point where you're dissecting your relationship with your parents, I think we all, well, not maybe not we all, but a lot of us grow up with this fairy tale perception and this belief of what our relationship with our parents was. And then as you get older, you can look at it and be like, whoa, that was actually so screwed up. That was really quite toxic when you start to kind of reflect back. And it almost feels like there's the shame around that, right? Because you want to have that type of relationship with your mom you or your dad or whatever, whatever family member it is. Mm-hmm. And when you're not feeling that way or you're not getting that love or unconditional support that you are hoping for and that you, you want, and you needed as a child too, you're like, what's wrong with me? Right? Like there is that shame that comes with that. I'm so glad you brought that up because shame is really what's at the bottom of a lot of this. When we, um, unpack it, it's like, oh man, shame. And shame is really the tool of the patriarchy. If you think about it, like 
even if you think about like capitalism, for example, it's underneath the patriarchy. It's, it's basically like it thrives off of our shame, right? We're very um, profitable when we're in our shame because we'll buy products and services to constantly feed this unending thing, right? But shame, if you look at it, I've been thinking about it a lot because um, I'm putting together a new training around the inner teenager. Cause I think a lot of mm. us are, are actually struggling with an inner teenager. Um, oh my God, sign me sh- up. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, but, um, what was I going to say? Oh, shame is two parts. The way I see it, it's like, we have a mechanism inside of us as children that we we're kind of built physiologically as our cognitive, as our brains are developing. It's like, if our mothers reject us or shame us, we automatically make that ourselves wrong. Like to preserve the connection with the caregiver, a child has to blame itself. It's just, it's like a survival mechanism. So there's a part of us that is, has a proclivity to shame ourselves. That's in built in. But the other part of it is that shame is a tool of patriarchy in terms of disciplining. So many of us had parents that were like, you know, either really strict or they use shame as a way to control us and make us compliant and learn the rules. So shame was kind of a weapon in a lot of parenting of old school, especially. And then also the culture, right? So especially around teenager years, it can be difficult because there's this like, you have to fit in and you want to belong. Um, but you also have your own truths that you're blossoming into. So yeah, we have all these different ways that we can collapse into shame and that sticks around even if it was something, you know, from our childhood or teen years or even young adult years, it gets kind of installed. Being vulnerable, speaking our truth, sharing what we've been through can be very scary because mm-hmm. we've been taught that, ooh, if we're not perfect, we're not controlling ourselves to fit in, then there must be something wrong with us. And this might actually lead to abandonment. Um, so I don't think we, a lot of us don't think about this consciously, but that's kind of what I think is happening underneath is that the shame is the real place where we go to, um, if we didn't feel loved or accepted or seen enough. Mm -hmm. And, you know, thinking back to my own experience, I definitely grew up feeling like that. I felt like I wasn't good enough. I felt like, you know, I, um, didn't have a relationship, but my parents split when I was, I think in the second grade. And I eventually moved in with my dad. My brothers and sisters stayed with my mom. And uh, I just lived with dad. Like there was no back and forth. There was no like every other Mm. weekend. And I didn't even really have that relationship. And there's obviously, you know, different aspects of things that were going on. Maybe like parental alienation, all these things. Um, But I think to that, and I'm like... I felt abandoned. I felt shame. I felt mm. like I wasn't good enough. Like, why was I not good enough to go and and be with my sisters and brothers? Even though I had made that choice, so I wanted to live with dad, I still felt like this was all very much my fault. Yeah. And it's interesting as I've been diving into this work over the last year, really, just what that taught me about myself and the tendencies mm. that I have in relationships you know, in my adulthood, you know, and, and just some background growing up, I, I definitely was not an easy kid to parent. I was definitely trying at times and, you know, mm-hmm. would almost, it was looking back, it was like, I was going to screw things up before you could leave me. Right. So right. At least I was That's in how control. you protected yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it, it's interesting when, when Darren and I, so Darren's my husband, we first got together for the first little while, like 
I would kind of revert to being like, okay, well, you know, this is over or trying to push him away or like that kind of things. And he finally had to sit me down and be like, I'm not leaving you. Like I'm not leaving you. And it made me kind of dive into my story and being like, I always thought everyone was going to leave me if I didn't do Mm, what they wanted me to do. But I think it's so important. I was listening to something that you had said before, and you were talking about how like, and it's so important and powerful to look at the issues that you're having in your current relationships mm-hmm. and going back to your experience as a childhood, like what did in your childhood, what did you learn from that? Like, how did that, how does that contributing now and the stories you've been told about yourself? Absolutely. I think that's the most powerful thing. I think that's why relationships are one of the most potent, I, I call it the potent laboratories for healing because we show up to our romantic relationships with the same longings and fears that we had from our, in our primary relationships, our primary relationships as kids are our parents, right? Mm -hmm. So when we have a significant other, it activates automatically that attachment relationship. So we, we bring the same fears and longings to that relationship, anything that's unfinished business from the past. So I always advise people, like if you can get in the habit of getting super intimate with what were the core themes of your childhood, And then how are they showing up in your present relationship? You're ahead of the game. If you can proactively undo those stories, then then your relationship actually has more success, (laughs) probability of success. The problem is that most of us show up to these relationships, and I know I did myself for many years, totally unconscious of what my agendas and longings and fears were that were carried over from childhood. And so I would Mm -hmm. keep repeating the same thing. So I'm like, what the hell? I'm repeating the same things over and over again. And and then eventually I was like, oh, this is what I'm doing. I have to look (laughs) at this proactively. Otherwise I'm wasting years of my life, you know? Just Mm -hmm. feeling batted around like on this stormy sea, like I'm alone, I'm not safe and I don't understand what's going on. And, And everything seemed to settle for me when I really started to get you know, up and close and personal with like my inner child. And a lot of us have an inner child inside of us, all of us do, who's like feeling unsafe, you know, carrying around those same, like you were saying, Mm -hmm. those same beliefs of I'm going to end up alone. I'm not safe. I have to proactively leave in order to feel in control because if I'm left, there must've been moments in your childhood where you were just like feeling left and so vulnerable and it's scary. Like, am I going to survive? So we'll do anything. The child in us is kind of like a gatekeeper. If she doesn't feel safe, she's going to either put on the brakes, shut it down, or, um, you know, shut it down to some degree. So the more we can bond with our inner child, um, and that's what the book is really about is this work of inner mothering. How do we mother the child inside of us in the, to fill those mother gaps that we missed so that she's not looking to our partner to fill them. Like for years, I would just show up basically and hand my inner child to my partner, like love me, make me feel valuable. Don't invade me. Read my mind, you know, with kind of these childlike expectations yeah. unspoken. Um, but th- the real fun is when you and a partner can actually be on this path together where you're becoming more conscious of, oh, I just felt my inner child get triggered while you'd wh- by what you just said. Um, you know, you can kind of name it and support one another in kind of correcting those false conclusions that we came to when we were young. Mm-hmm. And I think that's like the really exciting possibility for relationships when partners can do that kind of work together. 
Mm-hmm. And what are some of the common things, um, just to provide some examples for people listening, that stories or, or things that people are looking back on, these are the triggers. Like, you know, I know for me it would be, you know, I'm not wanted, I'm a bad kid, um, I don't deserve yep. this, people are going to leave me, it's all my fault. Like, those are definitely the stories that I brought with me into mm-hmm. my adulthood and the things that I struggled with. Is there anything else that really comes to mind for those who are listening who could be like, oh my gosh, yes, that's me. Yeah, totally. And I can, I have some of those too. Um, and those are very common. A lot of people have those. Some other ones, um, like I, I have ones around invasion because my mother was extremely invasive and dominating and shaming. So I have things like, I can't trust my desire for connection because if I open up to someone, they might exploit me or they might hurt me. So I stay a little remote. You know, that's mm-hmm. been my pattern as I I kind of don't display a lot of what's happening in me. I, I kind of keep it a little to myself. So there's this kind of withdrawnness or just fear of someone kind of taking over. Mm-hmm. Um, so that fear of invasion can be, that can take many different forms. And some people can experience that as like a defiance too, like an aggression. Like I'm thinking of um, a man I know, He one of his things was he had a fear of invasion as well, and he just couldn't get vulnerable. So he would keep himself kind of emotionally unavailable to partners because it would feel like his invasive mother mm-hmm. who would shut him down. And it wasn't safe. And it wasn't safe. So it really all comes down to safety. That's what the inner child is le- looking for and seeking. Uh, and the more we can actively provide that safety we can actually heal this stuff and rework those narratives. A lot of things, other things are like things like, am I valuable? Am I lovable? And we have that because for whatever reason, our parents didn't have the capacity to help us feel loved enough. So it could be for any number of reasons. We just didn't feel lovable enough. So a child, the inner child inside of us can be looking for that you know, through, from our bosses or from the amount of money we make, or we have, we might search for status symbols and it's all kind of to compensate for this fear of not feeling lovable enough. And there's a child inside that's like, well, if I was lovable enough, wouldn't they just, just tell me that and love me. And the truth is that this is to kind of update that false conclusion. You are still lovable, always have been innocent, lovable, and good but your parents just didn't have the capacity to help you feel that in your bones, right? They were either distracted or wounded or whatever. It had nothing to do with you. And part of this work is helping yourself to just kind of shed that sense, like shed the shame. Like there's really nothing for you to feel ashamed of. You actually didn't do anything wrong. You were just a kid, completely helpless in an environment that was dominated by adults. And a lot of the adults in your environment might have been completely uncentered, unable to help you and love you as you deserved. So one of the exciting parts for me as a coach and a teacher is to witness women start to feel that land where it's like, right, none of this was my fault. The pain that I've been carrying about not feeling good enough actually has nothing to do with me. It's just an artifact of my childhood and how as a kid I didn't have the cognition or an adult, a compassionate adult that could help me process how mm-hmm. unloved I felt. So when we start to take in, wow, it was not my fault. There's nothing wrong with me. We can start to shed that and, and feel connect to that sense of I am lovable. I am enough. And then we can shed that kind of that, that false self stuff I was talking about, like striving and trying to be, you know, 
whatever it is for you to compensate for not feeling mm-hmm. good enough. Cause that's a yeah. lot of energy. <laughs> it's put into that. Yeah, for sure. You know, I, I, just to kind of go back to my own experience, like I was, I realized for the longest time, cause I felt like everyone thought I was going to be a screw up. I felt like my mom mm-hmm. thought I was going to be a screw up. I thought people in our community thought I was going to be a screw up because I was the bad child of divorce. You know, my mom didn't want me. Um, I didn't have that relationship. I was always acting out. I was always angry. And looking back, I was just a kid who no one taught any healthy coping mechanisms to. Like I had all of these big emotions and all these things happening inside of me and I didn't know what to do with them. So what do you do? Right. You lash out. Like that's just kind of, Of I I had all this stuff built up inside me and, and, and that's what it was. But I look back to my parents too with compassion because man, they were just in the weeds themselves. Like they didn't know any better or they didn't have, maybe they did know better, but they didn't have the capacity to do better. And Mm -hmm. everyone was really just kind of surviving. That kind of leads me to the mother gap. So can you explain, um, and we we kind of touched on it, like what is the mother gap? Because I think that's really the key to people figuring out where, where they fit in this whole process. Yeah, absolutely. When I use the phrase mother gap, I just mean it's really simple. It's like, what's the gap between what you needed from your mother and what she actually, what you actually received. So there might be a gap for some of us. It's really large for some of us. It might not be so large. And the reason why that gap is so important is because we tend to project outward onto other people around us to fill it for us. And that can cause problems in, you know, work situations, like with bosses. I see a lot with women and and other female bosses or um, with our partners, of course, and sometimes even our children. So becoming conscious of, yeah, what did I need that I didn't get um, can give you so much insight around what's driving your behavior, what's causing you to make certain choices, why you might land in shame more often than not. Um, so think back. Um, and again, this is not to blame our moms or make them wrong. It's literally just to find out why do I do some of the things that I do, right? What are some of the unconscious things that shaped how I see myself in the world? It's really not about our moms in the end, honestly, it's ultimately not about them. It's just about this was the, this was the relationship that shaped the primary way that I show up. Yeah, no, I was actually having a conversation. We were at a, a girl's night on the weekend my mom was there, my aunt was there, and my cousins, my, my cousin and my sisters. And I think we were just, I think maybe we were talking about the mother wound or like something from our childhood or something. And uh, my mom said, she goes, oh yeah, well, I just screwed you all up. Like kind of like feeling, feeling attacked by it. Right. And we were all like, oh. no, it's not about, no one's attacking anyone. Like every parent is, is giving their child something like you're the, yeah. the way you were parented, you know, passed on these mother wounds to you. And then like, I think now people are just starting to feel more comfortable talking about it. Right. And everyone's becoming a lot more aware of what's making us tick in the way that we're ticking. So it's not about blaming. It's about just being really aware of how all of these stories we've been telling ourselves are are showing up and affecting us moving forward. Like we got to break the cycle. Exactly. Exactly. I think, you know, your mom was defensive because probably she felt the pressure to be a perfect mom, like so many of us do. So it's like, yeah, but the, you know, and a lot of women keep themselves in that place. Well, I'm going to be an ungrateful daughter if I look at this. Um, Mm -hmm. And I like to just tell people that actually, the more you look at it, the more you realize it's not actually as personal as you think it is. Um, But we have to look at it 
deeply in order to, to realize all that. I almost feel like it's a, that's like a dragon at the gate or something. This, this feeling like, oh, blame, I can't blame my mother, but we have to be conscious. Like you just said, if we want to be, create the world we want, if we want to be different mothers, fulfill our potential, whatever our goals are, we have to be more aware. We have to be conscious of what's driving us. I think we're seeing too, like more than ever, people are realizing what trauma is and how it, how we do pass it on without even realizing it, mm-hmm, you know, sure. unless we become aware and it's painful to become aware. <laughs> so we need support. I that the truth. And, and you know, with all of that, there comes a lot of situations where you do need to set boundaries, right? And Absolutely. because that mother wound, maybe that's affecting you in your day to day now, maybe that relationship is actually quite toxic, or maybe it is a relationship that needs to be shifted because maybe you're having that enmeshment or you're, you're stuck in these expectations of what a good daughter should do. What advice do you have for someone who feels like they need to set some new boundaries and new parameters with their mom around what that relationship should look like or will look like for them, but you know, they don't want to rock the boat. They don't want to offend them. They don't want to, you know, have them just not want to have a relationship with them. I would do, I would suggest first doing some deep reflections. Mm -hmm. So before you don't take any action yet with your mom, just like Allow yourself to maybe... No one text your mom right now. Everyone put your phone down. (laughs) (laughs) I would say wait to to talk to your mom until you have like a certain amount of clarity. So getting clarity is important. And some questions that might help you are if you're like a sign that something has to shift with your mom is like after you talk with her, you either dread talking to her you suffer through the visit to some degree. And then, or afterwards you get into a slump. Like I've talked to many women who are like, I'm in a slump like two days after I talked to my mom or like a week after talking to her, I'm just like in a fog and not feeling myself. That's a sign that there's definitely something to look at there. And then ask yourself, what is that? What are certain things that trigger you? Is it something she says? Is it something or an expectation you have that she's not filling? Or sometimes it's like passive aggressive comments that are coming from her or get finite, get granular, um, granular. Like Mm -hmm. what is it that's driving this tension that you feel around her? Um, so just observe yourself for a while, get some clarity there. And then a second question I would ask you is what would be your ideal relationship with your mom? If you could have any, you know, wave a magic wand, what would you want that to look like? So that's an important exercise because it, it kind of forces you to look at how do you want to show up? Like, mm-hmm. ha- who are you in this relationship? Because sometimes I think what happens is we bring our little girl to the, the, the plate with our moms and are like, love me, see me, make me, you know, finally see me, basically some version of that. But we don't feel like we can be our authentic selves, right? I think for many women, a struggle is I feel like my mom wants me to wear a mask rather than be my real self, like mm-hmm. wants me to preserve her illusions for her comfort, but I'm not really that person, you know, anymore. And I want to, I want to show up in all my relationships as my real self. I feel like women have a dry, you know, a a growing passion and a hunger for truth. Like I want to be true. I want to be an integrity, but with this relationship with my mom, it's like, it's just, I feel like I collapse into being a little girl or whatever. So how do you want to show up in that relationship? What would that look like to have an empowered version of yourself show up? What would you do differently? Right? Like, would you see her less? Would you see her more? Would you not talk about certain subjects or 
you know, um, so that then it's like thinking about what is she capable of and what are you willing or unwilling to accept? And the only way we can get answers to these questions um, is to take one little step in that direction. So I always advise like a micro step, like test the waters and see how that goes. That's more information for you. Like, for example, my mom, I think her, I'm no contact with my mother, but she had a very low, like extremely low tolerance for me to be different than, than I was, you know, but some mothers actually have more flexibility. Like, and especially if your mom knows that like you're serious. So if you start setting a boundary, for example, she might push back. And I always advise people, I just want to back up for a second to be respectful when you speak to her, don't attack. You know, that might seem obvious, but sometimes when we're triggered, we might attack. And the reason why, uh, there's a lots of reasons, but the main one being, you wanna just feel clean from your end, you know, mm-hmm. because we don't want another reason for you to fall back into shame. So try to show up as your best self with your mom and set a boundary in a clear, direct, but loving way. And then just see what happens with, after you try to do that once. And you'll get a sense of, ooh, she just like pushed, attacked back, or seemed like there may be some wiggle room. So it's almost like a, you just have to take little steps and, and get feedback and then see where you wanna go from there. And each little micro step might bring up more for you around grief might come up or sadness, or you just might learn more about yourself through that process. For In my example, I had tried doing that and to not so great. Um, Yours did not work out so great. It did not work, work out <laughs> no. that whole. But you know, I didn't know until I went through it, but I was so glad I did because I realized the things I was afraid of happening did, but I got to feel the truth of myself. I'm, I'm my own woman. I'm not living under the shadow of fear of wanting and waiting for my mother to be someone she can't be. And that's an incredible thing to live through because when we can set boundaries in the context of our mothers and show up as empowered with our mothers, it's easier to do it everywhere else, I'm telling you, because our mothers are really like that ground of self. It's one of the most scariest places to show up for some of us as our true self. But when we can do it there, we can do it everywhere else much more easily. Does that make sense? Yeah, for sure, because it's real. I find it very easy to set boundaries with people in your life who aren't that close to you and you feel super empowered and you've done all this work and you know then you go home for Thanksgiving and you're like <laughs> feel like a seven-year-old again right it's you know I know for me I'll, I'll sometimes find myself back in situations and I get the oh Jamie and it was just like mm. you know just the, the minimizing of experiences or you're too sensitive and that kind of stuff but you go back and whenever you go back into those situations you get those old stories that they keep coming up But something that you said there, I think is really important to dive into is the capacity piece, right? Mm -hmm. Some people aren't capable of having certain types of relationships and there's Mm -hmm. a grieving process that has to happen around that. And I think, you know, especially in the step family space and, you know, in this, in this work as well, we talk a lot about grieving and we say grieving, but I think some people get lost. They're like, well, what, what, how, what do you mean? Like, what does that grief process look like and how do I go through it so that I can move forward? Yeah, absolutely. Grieving is really kind of the nuts and bolts. It's like, that's how it happens. What that means is we are basically grieving many, many, many things when we become more aware. So when we become more aware, we take new empowered steps, we get information, right? So you might, for example, see that, oh my God, my mother seems attacked when I set a boundary 
And maybe you had this vision of like, oh, you know, I just wish my mom would like get me and just, you know, like respect my freedom, respect my autonomy. And so over time, we we are met over and over again. And it takes a while for this to land. And, and I hear from women in my courses all the time. They're just like, wow, I'm realizing that this my, this is my mother's best. She is giving me her best. There's no better. This is mm -hmm. all she can give me. And that when, when women can get to a place where they're like, wow, this is really my mom is never going to get better. She's never going to change. She is how she is. That's a powerful place because then you can do the work of grieving, meaning emotionally allowing yourself to like feel the sadness of, wow, I, I had like assumed or projected that my mother had so much more capacity that she could show up for me. She just didn't see me right. Or I just didn't explain it right. Or, you know, all the ways we think we need to make ourselves different to make her different. So part of this process is grieving that our mothers are who they are. They, they won't change. Assume that she won't because people generally, as they get older, become actually less resilient, most of them. So it's just accepting that this is where she's at. Um, so what happens is the inner child really is the one that has to grieve. I talk about this thing called the impossible dream. And the impossible dream is kind of like a survival mechanism. It's like when a child feels unseen by her mother, she, she might say, well, one day I'm, my mom's going to see, I'm going to prove to her, you know, that I am worthy and that I didn't, I'm not a bad girl and that I do, I am a good person and I'm special. You know, there might be this unspoken inner child hope, like someday my mom is going to see me and then I'm going to be good. Then I'm going to be good enough. Right? So it's like this childlike dream that gets us through. When we give up the impossible dream, we release all that power, all that energy that was bound up with like, I need my mom to see me. I need her permission. I need her love, which every child does to survive. And realizing like your mom isn't capable. Like for me, I realized my mom's not capable of love. Like she's just literally not. It's not a capacity she possesses because of her own history. So grieving that like, wow, that's a mega realization. That's one that has reverberations. And so you have to kind of just allow yourself to feel your way through it. You might have moments of helplessness. You might feel sad. You might just need, feel like a low energy. That's all healthy kind of steps that we go through in actually accepting, eventually accepting that the reality of what's there. Mm -hmm. So becoming skilled in grieving is really like making space for your feelings, kind of knowing what grieving is about and getting support and staying the course. One thing I see women have trouble with is when they start grieving, they start realizing things about their moms that are difficult. There's this assumption like, oh, I thought I was going to feel better. <laughs> you know, if I feel like shit right now, you know, like what, maybe I'm doing this wrong. Um, so they start to doubt or question themselves because grief can be so uncomfortable. Right. Mm -hmm. So I always advise women to like stay the course. This is normal. It's normal to feel low energy. It's normal to feel like some days you just can't stop crying. Like you just need to support yourself through it. So grief like has its own timeline. It's, it's not something we can control. It's really just a practice of showing up for what's showing up and just loving and caring for yourself, taking exquisite care of yourself in that process. And you might during a grieving process, do things like you tell your friends, I don't know if I can hang out. I'm just saying, I'll let you know as we get closer. Like you might not say yes to a lot of things. You might be a little more inward. You might order food instead of making, you know, 20 meals a week. Like you find ways where you can prioritize yourself and have a connection with yourself so you can make space for what's coming up. That's so powerful. I heard you say on a podcast once that I'm not sure if it was the person you were talking about or if it was you, but you're saying like my, my mom is actually just a wounded child in an adult body. 
Mm-hmm. And when you look at it that way, right? Like we forget that our parents have these wounds too, that yeah. if they haven't dealt with, they're carrying around too. So, you know, that's where it comes back to the capacity piece. It and totally does. We're all just a big mess of drama. <laughs> Well, we all carry a lot of legitimate suffering that just hasn't had a voice. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think that's where the inner mothering piece comes in is learning how to nurture those parts of us that don't feel heard, seen and loved and, and giving them, giving the, giving yourself that love. So what we do is we fill that mother gap from within ourselves. We mm-hmm. become the mother that we always wanted to ourselves. And so it's a practice. It's not like a destination. Like we get to a place and Oh, mother wound healed. It's more like, Oh, it's a practice more like a spiritual practice. You just show up to it every day in a committed way to love yourself. And ultimately if this is all about love, this is mm-hmm. what this work is. It's about healing our hearts. The most vulnerable wound is at the site of the mother. That's our first place where we feel love or don't feel love. So we carry that with us. But I, I, that's why I think it's such a holy process because we're bringing that love that we needed to this deep, deep wound. And we start to realize that we are love itself. Like there's never been anything wrong with us. That life, mm-hmm. like in my experience, as I've continued to heal, and I am still very much in the middle of my healing process, there's this transpersonal piece, which is like the spiritual part of the mother wound. I didn't mention this, but there's four levels of the mother wound. And one of them is the spiritual wound. And when we heal the inner child enough sufficiently, and it's different for everyone, we can start to feel like, wow, life is benevolent. Life is friendly. Life loves me. I'm part of life. Everything is connected. So even our just perception of life itself can shift into feeling more like you belong as part of life. And, and that's a very, very powerful thing that happens when we, when the inner child inside of us is no longer in this tension of like, is life friendly? Can I trust people? You know, am I going to die? You know, it's basically like we have these unmothered children walking around inside of us and grabbing the wheel of our lives. When we do inner mothering work, we take that child, we welcome that child home. Mm-hmm. And some of us, it's like a baby or, you know, it might be different ages. Um, lately, I've been working with my inner teenager and it's like, wow, bringing this teen home into my arms. It's like, wow, the fight. I always had this like fight energy that's been dissolving. And it's like, wow, now I can just be, mm-hmm. I can look at a tree and be like, wow, <laughs> you know, I can see life. I'm actually for sure. present for life. And when you're saying, you know, parent, mothering yourself or mothering your child, it really is about asking yourself, okay, well, what did I need as that eight-year-old girl? Or what did yes. I need as that 15-year-old girl? Like, how can I give myself that now? Because I think that's where people kind of struggle. They're like, okay, mothering my child, but I'm not a child anymore. So when they're new to the work, they don't fully understand it. But it, it really is about like looking back and be like, what did I need? And how can I show up that way for myself now? Exactly, exactly. So yeah. Yeah, there is a child inside of you, and I would just start with whatever age feels intuitive. Maybe get a picture of yourself and look at it every morning or every night, and just start. This is how I recommend people start: is like, just start sending yourself love to say, "Hey, you know," I say, "Hey, little bee, I love you so much. We're gonna have a great day. I'm gonna be with you. I'm gonna support you throughout this entire day. You don't mm-hmm. have to worry about a thing. I've got you." If you say that something like that to your inner child morning and night for a while, just you'll notice something shift. But it has to come from the heart. It has mm-hmm. to be sincere because the inner child is a good bullshit detector. If we're just saying things automatically and robotically as like a chore, 
no, that's not going to work. So our inner child is like so much energy, creativity, power, love, joy. There's so much on access, but it's waiting for us. So when we inner, when we mother the inner child, we nurture ourselves. We do this reflection, like what do we need? You know, bring in more play, even um, more pleasure. Um, things just for fun. Just give yourself permission to unlock certain things give yourself that you permission. needed and, and then just watch what happens. I love that. And you know, I know there's, cause this was me before. So I know there's going to be people who are listening to this podcast. Cause if I was listening to this podcast two years ago and you were telling me to talk to my inner child in the morning and yes, say something out loud to them, the I would be like, this <laughs> is weird, right? Like I, I, what, what do you mean? Right. You want me to what? Okay. Here's the deal. Everyone has their own process and everyone has their own way and things that work for them. If you are not at that point yet, I would recommend something that really worked for me is like just Mm -hmm. writing things out in a journal, right? Like what did I need in that moment? Or, you know, from my perspective as a child, like what, what did I need? Like, how could I have felt more loved and safe in that environment? And like, go, go back to those situations and journaling is just super powerful because I just want to give other people a option. Just reflecting about your inner child, you know, what you went through as a child can be really healing because in a way it's like a form of empathy to just think back and be like, oh, what was I going through? What was I feeling? Your inner child will feel somewhat seen by that. So it's like, if you think about the inner child, she's a living energy that lives inside of you, right? Who's been in hiding, so to speak, due to certain traumatic events that might've happened in your life. And she might just come out now through triggers, right? So being reactive, or if you suddenly have moments where you like collapse into feeling powerless, those are signs that that those are moments when your inner child might just like flop up because of something that's happening. So when we're connecting with the inner child through the inner mothering work, we're learning how to mother the child in us differently than our mothers did. Because right now we might actually be mothering our inner children the way that our moms mothered us, which might be like, oh, get out of my way or you know, you're a nuisance. So another way you can come at this if you want to just not go the inner child route is just observe your thoughts because your inner narrative will tell you a lot about what's happening inside of you. If you find yourself in a slump, you can ask yourself, "Mm, I just suddenly felt really tired. What was I thinking about before this? So start, oh, I was having this narrative of like, I'm overwhelmed and nothing's going to change and I'm never going to get better. Like, for example, I, um, a woman I've been working with, she was just like, yeah, I realized I was raised in a reign of terror. My mother was like, if you don't do this, this is going to happen. If you don't do that, that's going to happen. And she's like, I'm, I'm actually kind of terrorizing myself by allowing those same kind of thoughts to just continue to run roughshod in my mind. So we worked on helping her to say, to kind of disrupt those thoughts like, oh, there's mom's voice again. We're not going to go there. That's not our reality. Right. So just noticing your thoughts, you can start to see the influence of your childhood that might still be operating now. And you can just start to kind of disrupt those and be like, Oh, there's that thought. I'm not going there. I'm going to choose differently. Now there's one final thing I want to touch on and you have talked about how parents, Mm. you say parents are not entitled to relationships with their children. You don't owe them anything. They need to earn it. I want to unpack that because I think there is this whole idea that, well, they're your mom. Well, you, you know, you have to go, you have to do this. Well, that's your mom. You're talking about adult, adult to adult. We're not talking about kid to adult. Yeah. I just want to give you a little context. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And you know, just, just this idea that you need to have a certain type of relationship with family members because they're your family member, because, because you owe them something because they raised you or they brought you into this world, or I am your mother and I, I deserve this. And 
you know, for me, that's been something that I've been really kind of unpacking lately in my life being like, but it doesn't feel good. Or why do I have to do that just because you're my mom or just because that's what the mother daughter relationship is quote unquote supposed to look like, you know, you don't have to have that type of relationship with your mother if it, if it doesn't feel right for you. And I think that that's where we all need to start to give ourselves that permission to say, no, actually, this doesn't work for the person that I'm becoming. This does not feel good. Yes, yes. That's such an empowering thing. It's like um, some families more than others, there is this expectation that, you know, that the child can't have a say, even an adult child can't have a say in how that relationship goes. And that's, that's patriarchy. It's like the parents always better than the child. The parent has more power than the child. And so that's very old school. And a lot of families are still that way. But I would encourage women to start to question that and that you, no matter what relationship you're in, whether it's a primary, like, like your parent or your aunt or, you know, a coworker, you get to have all your relationships need to be healthy and they need to be respectful and reciprocal. That has to be true across the board. But I know some families, it's like, it's just expected. I'm the mother. So you have to do what I want. I can show up at your house anytime, day or night, and you're supposed to entertain me. I believe that all relationships, trust is earned. Respect is absolutely minimum standard. So it's kind of like, yeah, as an adult daughter, you get to have a voice in the standard that you set for relationships. And that includes the relationship with your parents. So yeah, it could be really empowering to start to say, Hey mom, I want to, let's talk about our boundaries or, you know, I'd like to shift something in the dynamic between us. And I was wondering if we could chat about that. Cause I notice this particular thing doesn't feel, I don't feel comfortable with that. Would you be willing to do it differently? You know, talk to me about how we can do this differently. Cause I want us to have a harmonious relationship, but this doesn't feel, this is, not feeling comfortable for me. So Mm -hmm. it's all about us having a voice and being able to co-create relationships rather than feeling oppressed inside of relationships that have this top-down patriarchal vibe. And this is part of dismantling patriarchy everywhere. And I think relationships are where it happens, right? The relationship with ourselves and the relationship with other people is how we craft a landscape that we want, that we can model for our children and people in our communities as a new way of relating that's non-patriarchal, that's respectful and has like a new, this is how it's done. It's not, it's in these private, unglamorous moments where we, we use our voices and we take a risk. And that's so exciting. I think that's the most empowering stuff. It is so empowering. And I have to thank you so much. Your work has definitely been game changing for me. And I think I pretty much told every single person who I talk to that they need to read your book. It, it truly is. Yeah. You're, you're changing these conversations and it, it's definitely, it's needed. It's needed. So mm-hmm. where can everyone find you? Thank you so much, by the way, Jamie, I love the work that you're doing and it's been really fun. I've enjoyed our conversation today. If people want to find out more about my work, you can just go to my website. It's bethanywebster.com. There's a free ebook that talks about patriarchy and the mother wound. And there's also dozens of free articles that they can read on my blog. And my book is available anywhere bookstores, you know, near you or online, you can buy the book. And I also have a coming up, um, I have a free training. I do free trainings twice a year that are totally free. Anyone can attend. Um, This year, it's going to be out the inner teenager. So if you're curious, if your inner teenager is active in your life, it's going to be pretty surprising and exciting. Um, And I also have an online course for people who are like, oh, this is what I need to do. Check out 
my online course called Discovering the Inner Mother, and it really walks you through kind of all the steps to heal the mother wound and discover the inner mother. And then I also offer private coaching as well. Thank you so much for taking the time. I'm, I'm so glad that we got to do this. Me too, Jamie. Thanks so much. And thanks to everyone listening. It's been really fun. Thanks so much for tuning in. You guys know the drill. If this resonated, share it with someone who you think will love it too. And if you haven't already, I would be forever grateful if you could head on over to iTunes and give the show a rating and a review. And if you're craving more stepmom content, want to connect with me and stepmoms from all over the world and get access to exclusive content with all my favorite experts, be sure to check out the exclusive stepmom community, www.jamieskimger.com forward slash membership. Members also get access to my online magazine and can listen in on coaching calls with fellow stepmoms. www.jamiescrimshire.com forward slash membership. Love you guys. We'll chat with you next week.